Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up on this edition of the podcast, which is being released on Easter weekend, some words of encouragement and reflection from well-known pastor and author Robert Jeffress of First Baptist Church of Dallas, which on Palm Sunday presented a stirring march for eternal life through the streets of the city. Then it's noted video blogger Elizabeth Johnston, also known as the activist mommy. She has completed her first book and offers insight into how our Christian faith is being challenged. Recently, she participated in the second day of mourning, this time in the state of Virginia, calling attention to abortion in America. And more from the 2019 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Anaheim, California. Ann White of the ministry Courage for Life commented on her most recent book, a devotional guide centered around women appropriating God's strength and being courageous. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, comments from a former QVC television host who experienced the loss of his wife and has written a tribute to her, a memoir of their experiences, including the period of time leading up to her death. Meet Dan Wheeler from a conversation at NRB 2019. Then find out what God is doing among Muslims in the Middle East, specifically in the nation of Lebanon, where he has opened dramatic ministry doors. You'll be hearing from co-founder of the ministry of Heart for Lebanon, Tom Adama. Finally, more content from NRB in California. Filmmaker Devon Franklin dropped by Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central to discuss his new film in theaters called Breakthrough, a story about physical survival and spiritual recovery. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Robert Jeffress is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas, which held its annual March for Eternal Life on Palm Sunday. He visited with me during Holy Week to discuss the Easter story and its implications for Christians and the world today. Here now is Pastor Robert Jeffress. Well, we had our largest turnout ever, about 4,000 Christians marching through the streets of downtown Dallas, holding a giant illuminated cross. And, you know, Bob, most people engage in marches because they're angry about something. We're not angry about anything. We wanted to share with our city and through the media, with our nation, uh, the joy that we have in Christ. And as we enter this holy week, when we remember the crucifixion, the resurrection of Christ, we thought a great thing to do on Palm Sunday would be to uh, march in a joyous way. We had a Dixieland jazz band leading the way to share our joy in what Christ has done for us in providing what we all needed most, the forgiveness of our sins. So um, we had a joyous celebration. We marched through the streets of downtown Dallas to a, to a downtown park, Clyde Warren Park, and we had a brief worship service there. Michael W. Smith, the Grammy Award-winning composer and singing, singer, was with us, and he sang, and then I brought a brief message from John chapter 3, and we gave those in the park an opportunity to trust in Christ as Savior. Awesome. Now, how many years has your church been doing this? This is the third one that we've done. Um, We just, uh, a lot of churches, I know, have something on Good Friday, which is great, but we thought there's not that much that happens on Palm Sunday. So we actually make Palm Sunday a day that we encourage people to bring their unsaved friends to the service. We always have something special. This year it was Michael W. Smith, and I preach a special evangelistic message, and... um, 
the reason we do that is uh, this gives people an opportunity to invite, invite their unsaved or unchurched friends. We had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who don't know Christ here yesterday. And I preached a message on the six trials of Jesus and gave a clear evangelistic uh, presentation and an opportunity for them to respond. And we found that uh, when we get them here on Palm Sunday, uh, then Easter's an easy sell to invite them to come back. Well, something that I understand that you were doing prior to Palm Sunday involved church members who have actually written down either first names or initials of those that they're praying for during this Easter season. So comment on that if you would. Yeah, this giant cross, it's huge and it's illuminated. We had in uh, one of the common meeting areas of our church, and we had markers there, and people could actually write the name, first name or initial, of somebody they were praying for to come to faith in Christ, and somebody that they would commit to invite on this special Sunday. So that cross that we carried through the streets of downtown Dallas had all of these names written on it, people for whom Christ had died. Pastor, I wanted you to just share how you have found that people during this Holy Week commemoration, this time of reflection, really can maybe put aside some of the distractions that are so easy to get caught up in and really focus squarely on the cross and the empty tomb. Well, you know, there is so much going on in our country right now, in our nation, and I I was reflecting on why did we have such a huge turnout last night, and I think more and more Christians are coming to the realization that the greatest answer uh, for what this world needs, uh, the answer isn't going to come out of Washington, D.C., It's not going to come from a vibrant economy. It's going to come from a right relationship with God. And we as Christians have the only answer to that. And, you know, yesterday I preached on the trials of Jesus and about the suffering he went through, uh, being scourged and on the cross and bearing the sins of the world. And I reflected on that moment when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. I had just been there a few weeks ago. And, you know, he prayed, Bob. Father, if there is any other way, let this cup, this experience, pass from me. And uh, heaven was silent. God didn't answer because, in fact, there was no other way. And, you know, the fact is we have people tell us there are many ways to God. There are many roads that lead to heaven. Look, if there's any other way to heaven other than the death of Christ, then Christ's agony was totally unnecessary. He need not have gone through that experience. But the reason he went through that horrific experience was it was the only way to pay for man's sin. And I think that gives us great confidence as Christians to share this message, not out of hatred, but out of love. Then remind people, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Robert Jeffress here on The Intersection. The website for the ministry, Pathway to Victory, is ptv.org. Next on this edition of The Intersection, it's the activist mommy Elizabeth Johnston, author of the book, Not On My Watch, How to Win the Fight for Family, Faith, and Freedom. In our conversation, she shared some of the principles that she relates in the book and discussed the day of mourning on behalf of unborn babies, which recently occurred in the state of Virginia. The first one took place in the state of New York. Here now from that conversation is Elizabeth Johnston. I just said in Richmond on Saturday, We are every bit as savage as the pagan cultures of old that sacrificed their babies to idols. And, but hopefully through what we are seeing, the savagery, 
we are hoping that the enemy has overplayed his hand. Mm. We're hoping that the left has overplayed their hand. And that because of the awakening of the sleeping giant of the church, people rising up and saying, I'm no longer going to be on the sidelines. I'm going to get on the front lines of this battle to save the lives of these babies. We are hoping that we are going to see a national awakening and revival. And that's what the day of mourning has been all about. It's just, it's just been about national repentance and awakening and revival. So I hope your listeners can go to dayofmourning.org. Uh, there's a place they can donate to our huge venue expenses that we have, and they can see other ways that they can get involved in this movement to end child sacrifice. You are the mom of 10 children. When did the, mm-hmm. I guess, when did the call come or when did the lights go on for you mm-hmm. where you saw, okay, I'm, I've been raising my kids, my husband and I, we're, we're raising a family. We are, uh, we are in mm-hmm. this position when did or how did you feel like God called you into, as we might say, another space where you actually became, well, the activist mommy? Right. Well, for 20 years, my husband and I have been engaged in the pro-life uh, battle. My husband is a medical doctor, uh, so that provides him with unique opportunities mm. to stand for life. And we have raised our children on the front lines of abortion clinics for 20 years now, taking them outside on the sidewalks to pray and to offer help and the hope of Jesus Christ to men and women going in. And so that has always been a part of our lives. But um, I've always just been a diaper bag, toting, you know, homeschooling mother, never intended on being a public figure. And what happened to change that was really two pivotal things. One, the Kim Davis uh, clerk situation in Kentucky. If you recall, the clerk uh, who would not sign the homosexual marriage license, um, the county clerk there, and she was placed in jail, shackled and placed in jail for acting like a Christian Hmm. in the country of America. Um, That really uh, shook me when I saw that my children and future grandchildren were in grave danger of no longer living in a nation that allowed them to be Christians. And then the second thing was when Obama issued his transgender bathroom directive, um, and I knew that, you know, grown men were going to be allowed in the shower rooms and, and dressing rooms of my daughters. I no longer recognized my country, and I said, I have got to get off of the sidelines and on the front lines of this issue. And, and uh, I filmed my first video uh, after the uh, transgender bathroom directive situation with Target and all of that happened. And I mean, the rest is history. 70 million video views later, lo and behold, there was a hunger for a bold and biblical response to these social and moral issues. Of course, there were some providers that were not particularly fond of what you had to put out there. So you've you found yourself uh, on and off of Facebook periodically, right? Yes, all the social media platforms have attempted to censor me. And um, the story of me a couple of years ago getting banned from Facebook because I quoted what the Bible said about homosexuality ended up going worldwide, very viral. That was back when you weren't hearing about uh, Facebook censorship every day. It was kind of a new a new story, and uh, that really catapulted my platform. And, you know, that's what people need to realize. When, when tough things happen to you, when you get pushback because of the stands you're taking for righteousness, so many people cave at that point instead hmm. of standing at that point and watching what God does to bless you because you stood. I have watched time and time again over the last two years as I have reached a moment of, of great um, challenge, you know, and, and, and uh, as much suffering as you can experience in America, which isn't very much, 
But when I come to a crossroads like that, my God ends up taking my platform and just catapulting it to, to such a bigger place than I could have ever dreamed. And that's the place where Christians often fold, where they often go into hiding because they're not willing to be persecuted for righteousness sake. And we need to embrace the small amount of persecution that we get in this country, or our children aren't going to get a small amount of persecution. They are going to be martyred for the cause of Christ in this nation. We've got to rise up and be salt and light in our culture, or as Jesus said, we will be trodden underfoot by men. Elizabeth Johnston here on The Intersection. The website address is activistmommy.com. At the 2019 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in California, Ann White, founder of the ministry Courage for Life and author of the book She is Strong and Courageous, discussed aspects of her ministry, which includes ministry to women in prison, some of whom have received copies of that book. Here now is Ann White. When Broad Street, wonderful publishing company of devotionals, when they came to me and asked me to write a 90-day devotional, they gave me this title. They said, we want, we want the title of your book to be She is Strong and Courageous. So I began to pray about it. And I had devotions I'd been writing for three or four years. I had plenty of devotions to contribute to this. But this message meant something very special to me. When I thought about this and I prayed about it, the Lord just really impressed upon my heart that She is Strong and Courageous needed to be a book that inspired women to buy the accounts of other women, women of the Bible and women in history and in our culture today. So when we talk about She is Strong and Courageous, what I've done is I've written 90 devotionals and we take it topically. Maybe one day it's on compassion, one day it's on forgiveness, one day it's on trying something new. You know, all things that we need sometimes, we need courage for. And what I do is, I t- what I've done is taken God's word and taken scripture that we focus on for that particular day, that particular topic, and then I marry that with the influence of a woman who's gone before us. It may be a woman of the Bible like Ruth or Esther or Lydia or Rahab even, or it may be someone in history or in our culture today like Ruth Bell Graham, or there's this wonderful story about her and compassion. There's a wonderful story about Linda Fuller, one of the co-founders of um, Habitat for Humanity, and how they just completely went a different direction. Sometimes God takes us in a completely different direction. So that's that day. And we look at Linda Fuller's story and how they allowed, she and her husband allowed the faith that they had in the Lord to change the course of their life completely and birth a ministry that now has housed millions, helped to house millions of people. Well, I mentioned earlier that this book is actually available to those that you work with in the prison system, but it's not a book that is specifically for for that group of women only but it's a it's a message a message that can really resonate with people women no matter what their their circumstances might be i would say correct yeah the the devotional is on um, our website it's on amazon you can get the devotional she is strong and courageous anywhere it didn't start out for the prison system obviously this was for a, every woman from every walk of life and just a nice devotional to wake up in the morning and be inspired by God's word, be encouraged to apply basic principles and be inspired by a woman of God who's walked that journey before you on a particular uh, topic or particular aspect of life. What was wonderful is that Broad Street has been kind and generous to offer this to inmates. And so as we work in the prison system and we have uh, many of our systems have tablets for their prisoners, 
Broad Street has offered this as an upload that these women can also wake up every morning and go to God's Word and go to this devotional and be inspired to make courageous changes in their life. You know, we all need hope. No matter who we are or where we are in life or what we're going through, we all need hope in every moment of every day. And God's Word has that for us. Ann White, the author of She is Strong and Courageous, NRB 2019 in California. Well, Ann, as we conclude, you mentioned earlier, and I wanted to return to this because obviously the whole topic of fear is so important. And as you mentioned, you have seen women who are struggling with fear. What have you found to be maybe one or two things that that women that you minister to are so afraid of? And how can God's Word speak powerfully to them in their times of fear? Yeah, well, God's Word tells us in 2 Timothy 1-7 that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and a sound mind. And I think one of, some of the fears that we deal with, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a leader I know I have dealt with a lot of fears, and I still do. It can be fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of um, abandonment, you know, fear of loss. There are so many fears that we deal with every single day. And so Courage for Life simply says, let's go to God's Word. Let's ingest His Word, a Word that tells us we're not to fear. We're to be strong and courageous. And Joshua and Deuteronomy 31.6. Ann White here on The Intersection. Her website address is courageforlife.org. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You will find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on the Intersection Podcast. The Intersection Podcast is available through that Media Center. Also, you can subscribe via iTunes. Plus, two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content, including recently added content from the NRB Convention in California. The Intersection podcast and conversations from the Meeting House program are also heard through the Faith Radio app. Learn more about downloading it for your smartphone or tablet by visiting faithradio.org. The podcast is available through a number of other apps as well. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. The co-founder of Fearless Faith Ministries and author of the book, Hurricane of Love, My Journey with Beth Wheeler, former QVC television host Dan Wheeler, visited the Faith Radio Meeting House Media Center at the 2019 NRB Convention in Anaheim. From that conversation, here is Dan Wheeler. Every night was a challenge, and many times I'd be with her all day in a hospital or in a chemo suite, and uh, I'd have to go in at night and host a show, and, um, you know, QVC is, there's no script, there's no teleprompter, it's all in your head and your prep and what you've done, and I usually would prep four to five hours for a show, but during these times, I would literally sometimes run in an hour before, go into makeup and go on the air, and God somehow sustained me. But I had nights, I remember one night in particular, the tally light was about to come on me. I was going to do a three-hour primetime show, huge sales goals, and both of my arms went numb, and the studio started spinning on me. I looked up, I saw all the lights going by, and I just cried out to God. I said, Dear Lord, oh. you have to help me. I have to do 
the show and somehow things settled down. My feeling came back and I did the show. But I developed a technique, Bob, where I would go to my mailbox and I'd say, I'd open it and I'd say, I have to put my problems in here now because I have to go do a show. I'll pick you up after the show. And so I learned to compartmentalize. But there were times in the middle of a presentation, especially the summer before, we would do something called Christmas in July. And uh, I think the thought would hit me, Beth won't be here by Christmas. And I'd have to refocus and cry out. But she was an amazing woman and she faced death fearlessly, which is why we call our ministry Fearless Faith. Dan Wheeler joining us today. It's NRB 2019 National Religious Broadcasters at the Anaheim Convention Center in California. This is the Meeting House on Faith Radio. Well, Dan, let's talk about Beth and how she faced the final, it would turn out to be years of her life. Again, the doctors had said she maybe had a year or so to live. She actually lived three. Right. She was, as the book title suggests, she was a hurricane of love. She is she someone was. that touched people in a positive way. Yes. And the name of the book is Hurricane of Love, My Journey with Beth Wheeler. So what are some of the ways that your late wife really dealt with the fact that she was that she was dying? Well, it was interesting. You know, I we wanted to pursue some natural therapies and I had learned about what they were doing in other countries, but she had great faith in our doctor, and we had an excellent medical team. So we did chemo, and, you know, we tried to really approach it positively. We Chemotherapy days became chemo dates, like we were going on a date. And we found this uh, little uh, soup shop in the basement of the building, and they had chocolate croissants. So when Beth would go check in at the doctor's office, I'd buy us a couple of those croissants because in our early days of dating, we would get them in Chicago. I'd heat them up in a microwave and we'd eat them. And then at lunch, I'd go down and get their delicious tomato basil soup. And, you know, we discovered that tomato basil soup and croissants in a chemo suite is great if you're with the one you love. And I'd give Mm. anything to have one of those dates back. But she had that kind of positive attitude. We were going to make it through it. I remember one day we were out at the pool, and this was about five months before she passed, and we would just sit outside. You know, she was getting weak, and I asked her, I said, are you mad at God? She said, no. Why would I be mad at God? And I said, well, you have stage four cancer. She goes, no, I just have cancer. It's not God's fault. And she was amazing. And as it got closer and things were not working out and she w- we spent weeks in hospitals and she had, it was the chemo that destroyed her bone marrow's ability to produce platelets. So the problem was with the platelets in her blood and we were on this emotional roller coaster. We had to go down to a huge hospital because the Red Cross actually has a computer system and they scour the country to match, a perfect match to her platelets. But her body was still rejecting them and. I remember many days in the the hospital, I would just be exhausted and I'd cry out to God and say, God, I've got nothing left. And I would hear him say, well, now I can take over because in your weakness, I am Mm. made strong. And I had to totally learn to rely on him. You know, it was something I couldn't learn my way out of. I couldn't buy my way out of. It was just we were in God's hands and it really brought us closer together. I think those last three years of her life, Beth and I, our relationship was stronger than ever. And... It was an honor to care for her, Bob. She would have done it for me a thousand times over. And she just had this positive attitude. And at the end, 
she was seeing heaven. Her eyes were just locked on this corner of the, the ceiling. And I'd say, Beth, what do you see? And she'd say, heaven. And I'd say, it is beautiful. And she'd say, oh, yes. Dan Wheeler from NRB 2019 here on The Intersection. The book's website is hurricaneoflove.com. The Fearless Faith Ministry site is ffaith.org. Next on this edition of The Intersection, it's Tom Adama, Chief Operating Officer and co-founder of the ministry Heart for Lebanon. He described the work that is taking place in the midst of people in that Middle Eastern country, including Syrians who have migrated there. The ministry offers physical and spiritual care. Here now is Tom Adama. Well, it was back in 2001 where I was uh, managing a Christian radio broadcasting actually two stations for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and we did a lot of missions like you do. And we took people all around the world sharing with them what God is doing. And uh, through that experience, we were introduced to a number of missionaries and opportunities. One opportunity that came our way was to put up a satellite radio that covered all the whole North Africa and Middle East region called Radio Amahaba. Today it has 4.2 million listeners. And then I was I had the opportunity to go to Beirut, Lebanon, and teach biblical servant leadership. It's there where I met Neil Melky, who was uh, president of Mediterranean Bible College, and we became good friends. In 2006, uh, the conflict broke out between Hezbollah and Israel, if you'll remember, and uh, Camille was with me at my house here in Nashville, North Carolina. And I looked at Camille and I said, Camille, how long are you going to run a Bible college? How long am I going to come over twice a year for a week and teach biblical servant leadership before we do something to help your people really get on their feet? Because here you go again, another war the Lebanese have nothing to say about, but it's devastating southern Lebanon. And out of that discussion on the proverbial napkin started Heart for Lebanon. Heart for Lebanon is a faith-based, non-denominational Um, ministry that uses a holistic approach to share the love of Jesus Christ. We build faith-defining environments so that people can see God, they can hear about God, they can experience God, they can grow in Him, and then share their personal faith with others in their environments. So back then, in southern Lebanon, it was Bedouins and Gypsies and poor Lebanese helping them get back on their feet from that devastating war between Hezbollah and Israel. Then the Iraqi war started, and we started ministering to Iraqi refugees. Uh, They came into Lebanon legally. They had paperwork. They were in the country for eight to ten months, and then they moved to another country. Um, And then the Syrian war broke out, and the Syrian war is a whole different dynamic in that the Syrian refugees come into the country of Lebanon as illegal guests. They do not get refugee status at any level whatsoever. And you have to remember, if you know your Lebanese history, that Syria ran Lebanon for a number of years, and most Lebanese, true Lebanese people, have had real horrible things happen to them or their family by Syrians. And all of a sudden, here we are asking the Lebanese people to start serving the people that are used to abuse them and just do terrible things to them. And God opened up many doors for us to provide for their physical care. Many of these walked, uh, almost all of them have walked from Syria into Lebanon, landed up in the Bekaa Valley, uh, living at or below the extreme poverty line. So we do what we call access ministry. We access their families um, with, with, with items of care, family care or education, blankets, pillows, food, 
uh, the items that they need to sustain life as well as education for their children. You know, I think it was, um, I forget, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, John Maxwell have said it, other people have said it down through the corridor of time, that people need to know you care before they care about what you care about. Mm-hmm. And so by caring for their physical needs, we, they begin to start to ask questions, especially in the Muslim culture. In a Muslim culture, if I give you something and you're a Muslim, your first response is that you owe me something. But here comes Heart for Lebanon, and we're giving you, let's just say, supplement food items uh, for four months. And all of a sudden you realize we haven't asked you for a thing, nothing. And eventually you'll say to our team, why are you doing this? What do you want from me? Well, we'd love to have a conversation with you, but on your time frame. Well, come on in, have a conversation. Well, what do you want to talk about? Well, we want to hear about your life story. How did you get to Lebanon? What did you do? How, what happened? And that draws people into a conversation about Jesus Christ. And ultimately, that's, our, that's, that's what we're there for, to share the love of Christ and to build disciples. Our mission is to make disciples. And so last week, we had 480, 490 in Bible studies. We planted two churches, one in the Bacaw, one in the South. And out of those churches, we have a small number of people that we're discipling deep, that we're teaching leadership to so they can go back to Syria someday and help rebuild Syria with the church in Syria as the center of that rebuilding process. Tom Adama here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the website heartforlebanon.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, producer of the film Breakthrough, Devon Franklin. Visited Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2019 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Anaheim to discuss the film, its concept, and story elements. From that conversation, this is Devon Franklin. I think you can never just keep repeating yourself. (laughs) I think it's always keep growing and finding new stories. And so for me with this story, it was new, it's different. Um, He didn't have a heavenly experience, um, which I think helps make the movie even more relatable to a wider audience because... Even though, um, you know, with Heaven is for Real, Miracles from Heaven, those experiences were supernatural and incredible, um, there's a supernatural on display in this film, but it's just differently rendered. And that is really what got me excited about this movie. And the fact that John Smith was adopted from Guatemala and being able to explore diversity in this film uh, is something that really um, struck with me. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to tell this story. And the name of the film is Breakthrough. It's yes. based on a true story. It's yes. based, on, and that story was told in a book. The book Called has the impossible. A, the impossible. Yes. So there's something about that title. So take us through the the changing of the title to make it different than the book, and and what you really would communicate. Because it seems like to me, and I know when I talk with Jason and John, they kind of touched on it as well. There are some, the the word breakthrough really has several different connotations. Yes, um, we changed the movie title because there's another movie out there called In the Impossible okay. that was done by another incredible filmmaker, and uh, I believe um, Naomi Watts starred in that film. So more people knew in that movie, The Impossible, than the film we were developing. And so we wanted a new title. And our executive at Fox, Marissa Paiva, she, before we, while we were in pre-production, she um, hit me up and said, hey, you know, I think the movie should be called Breakthrough. And I said, wow, I love that. I said, I think that's right, because it does operate on so many levels, you know. Uh, John breaking through the ice, um, the spiritual breakthroughs that they had, the, the emotional breakthroughs that happened in the film. So I love the title Breakthrough, and I think it's also more tangible. I think we all uh, need a breakthrough or have just come through a breakthrough. And so there's something very powerful about the title that uh, helps articulate what the journey of the movie is about. 
The filmmaker's name is Devon Franklin. He is joining me here at the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center, National Religious Broadcasters 2019. So, Devon, I, I, want to give, I don't want to give too much of a, a math lesson here, but obviously there's a dramatic story in the film Breakthrough having to do with John Smith falling through the ice and being without a pulse for over yeah. an hour and really enduring something that most people would have died as a result of in, in this situation. You have a mother's strong faith. And you have a story that God obviously intended to tell yes. through this young man yes. and his family. So if you had to break it down as far as the percentage of the movie devoted to the ice incident and its aftermath and some of the other lessons of the film, the impact on the Smith family and on John, how would, you, how would that break down roughly? Wow, I'm not sure um, percentage-wise, but you know the um, first act is pretty much establishing the story and in the first act happens when um, you know John falls through the ice and then the rest of the film you know deals with the repercussions of that and uh, and that's one of the things that once I heard the story I didn't know all that there was to the story the first thing I heard was about the prayer back to life and I knew that there was that was a, a good moment in a film but it wasn't enough to make a film so what I was able to do along with our writer Grant was to interview the family and get a much better idea of where that full story lived and so that's why I would say percentage-wise, you know, the ice incident, you know, is probably 25, 30 percent of the beginning of the film. And then the remaining of the film is dealing with the aftermath of that. And that's what I wanted to get into, the ramifications. A lot of different yeah. themes here in this story. So what would you say would be a couple of the, the real principal messages that people could glean from seeing the film? Um, you know, film? I think one of the biggest messages is speak life. Um, because, you know, when we speak life, then life can actually happen. Um, I think also love. You know, one, the last song in the film is by Carrie Underwood. It's Love Wins. And I think the movie articulates that. Joyce loved her son so much that she refused to give up on him when others did. And that's so powerful. And I also think that, um, you know, people walking out of the theater feeling valued and being reminded there's a plan for their life. It's very easy for us to f uh, feel forgotten as if uh, it doesn't matter, you know, what happens to us. But I think this movie reminds us that God loves each and every one of us, and there's a plan for each of our lives. And Joyce, obviously, is a prayer warrior. Oh, she yeah. Saw the, she saw she, the, the, yep. app, you and know, she the still results. Prays. Every time you see her, she prays. Joyce Smith is a real-life superhero. She's powerful, and uh, I'm just blessed to know her. That's awesome. Devon Franklin here on The Intersection. Find out more about the film by going to BreakthroughMovie.com. Well, we're about to wrap up this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through faithradio.org. Just go to the programming section or go to meetinghouseonline.info. You will find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the podcast. You can also access the podcast in the Media Center, the current edition, as well as previous episodes. The podcast is also available through iTunes. And there are connections to two blogs. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. And there is a link to video content, including recently added content from NRB 2019. Content is also available through the Faith Radio app and other apps. Learn more when you visit the website meetinghouseonline.info or go to faithradio.org and visit the programming section. 
Well, thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.